Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast, where we cover everything from crypto trading and investing to NFTs, decentralized finance, and so much more. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell financial products. Ming Wu, thank you for joining us on Crypto Unstacked. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, no, thank you. And it's actually I was very, very excited about you coming on the on the show this time because pretty much all my guests have had how do we say this, you know, have a very similar background to me. They've come from sort of traditional finance, landed into crypto, but they remain in what they do. So, for example, they may yeah. remain in trading or they may join exchanges. Now, what was interesting about your background and which I'd like to learn a lot more about was that you sort of had a similar start, I think, but you very much went kind of quickly hopped via trading into decentralized finance and in a very, very innovative part of finance. And that's really, really cool. Yeah, so a quick intro about my entry or foray into crypto. I initially, I would say that I came into crypto for the trade, but I ultimately stayed for the tech. And so my journey started in 2017 during the huge bull run in crypto prices when Bitcoin first went from 1.5k to 20k in that span of one year yeah and it was insane the volatility the daily volatility was just crazy and so at the time i was a high frequency trader trading and market making options and warrants in korean equity options and we basically felt like or i i at the time felt like this was a really great opportunity for a trading firm like ourselves to uh, take advantage of the inefficiencies that was going on in these different crypto exchanges and crypto markets. And so I basically pitched the idea to my boss that, hey, let's leverage off our existing high frequency trading infrastructure to make markets in crypto and take advantage of these arbitrage opportunities. And at the time, I had no clue what Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of that was. All I saw was just an asset class that had tremendous volatility and just insane amounts of market inefficiencies. So much so that you could actually make easily 100% return in a month, right? Just arbing between different exchanges, doing cross-currency ops. And at the time when I showed our boss the PL for the first month, he, he couldn't believe it. He thought that I was fudging <laughs> numbers, right? And so I ultimately created and was the head of the crypto desk at this firm. And I did that for about a year. So it took the desk itself took six months to actually start trading in real size and not because of the tech or not because of a lack of trading strategies. We actually had the tech and trading strategies all done in about one to two months. It was actually the regulation and the tax implication of trading cryptocurrencies that was so unclear at the time that for a TradFi company that had a lot of compliance and had to basically understand the tax implications of trading cr- cryptocurrency, we had to talk with regulators, we had to talk with the tax authorities, and they had no clue how to tax Bitcoin, right? And they no. didn't know whether it was a good or service or whether it was commodity or whether it was currency. Because if it, it was a good or service, then we would have to be paying GST on every single trade. Exactly. 
right? No, I and, mean, it's, yeah, it's exactly the same. That was, I mean, look, even to this day, it's still unclear, right? With with under you know Emir and Mifid two in the UK, in Europe, whether they're going to charge per per trade, tax per trade, but yeah. that's the boring stuff. So this this was <laughs> at Indian Soma Trading, right? So they were basically a traditional finance trading firm, and you sort of steered them to the crypto side. Is that correct? Yeah, that's and, that's. 100% correct, yeah. Yeah, and are they still in crypto? I'm kind of curious. What's funny is that while I was there, I really wanted to expand the desk and do start doing more like uh, OTC facilitation and also cross-currency spot arbitrage across many different regions and many different currencies. But at the end of the day, it's very difficult to do all these different trades and move quickly within a TradFi company, even though it is a hedge fund that doesn't really have as much red, red tape and compliance as a bank does. But still, the, the amount of risk taking is a lot less than, say, a purely crypto company would take. So ultimately, I realized that it's not where I needed to be if I wanted to get into crypto and develop my career within crypto. And so I left Indian Soma to join a purely crypto company called Paxos, which is based in New York. And I was helping them develop their trading desk and business in Asia. Soon after I left, they kept going on their crypto desk for a couple of months, but soon they shut that down because I think that given that I was the only person that was crypto native in the company and had a very good idea of all the different microstructure of our different crypto exchanges and their various nuances. For example, like BitMEX would have um, these 401 order rejections every time mm. the market got busy, right? And so you had to play a lot of different tricks to get around that. Binance, similar, OKEX, all these different matching engines have very different quirks, yeah. right? And it takes someone who has been looking at the market for a very long time and understands the nuances in order to really take advantage of that. And so after I left, they didn't really continue the crypto trading desk and focus back into their traditional finance trading. So now I don't believe that there's trading crypto anymore. Right. So at Paxos, you were sort of building up market structure and trading for them. And then you went on to Heimai, which is a name I'm obviously very familiar with because they you know, are long-standing TradFi sort of futures and options trader. And I knew them in London. I knew their team in Chicago. What were you doing at Heimai? Yeah. So... Haymeyer was a very interesting opportunity that came up out of the blue when uh, one of my contacts reached out to me and told me that this long-standing and very well-known Chicago trading firm was looking to pivot 100% into crypto, right? And at the time, I didn't really understand the full scope of the transition that Chris Haymeyer at the time was looking to build a full crypto native trading company and pivoting away from 100% away from TradFi into crypto. And that was really what sold me is you have this 40 year old trading company that has been in Chicago since the first day of right. electronic trading, right? And now they're pivoting 100% away from TradFi and futures trading into crypto. And I think that was very impressive to me to see that, wow, this is how much conviction that they have. And so I really wanted to help them realize that vision. And so I took my expertise to help them set up their trading operation in Asia and also helping them think of strategy and what's the best way to enter into the space given the resources that they have. So while I'm not 
currently at Haymire anymore, but I'm still very close with the Haymire team. And also I'm currently on the board of directors on their hedge fund arm, which is Warwick Capital. And they're doing some really great stuff. And given how much experience they have in markets, I think that they will be very successful in crypto as well. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I've met Chris Haymire myself personally. I know Dave Nueli very, very well. He was a former boss of mine back in the day in London at a firm called uh, Helios, uh, where I was an options trader. And I know they recently they bought Nortide, which is a kind of Swiss trading firm as well. And so they're really, really going all in crypto, which is fantastic. Yeah. You then, this is the interesting part, super interesting part for me, which is then you sort of then became one of the core founding team members at Strips. Yeah. Do you want to, what is Strips? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And then we then can go into the, the fascinating stuff that you guys are doing. Yeah, sure. So at a high level, Strips is a decentralized interest rate derivatives exchange that allows investors or traders to trade and speculate and hedge interest rates as part of a larger portfolio strategy. And we're currently built on Arbitrum, which is a layer two blockchain on Ethereum. And our vision is that we want to serve as the venue for the trading and pricing of interest rates and fixed income securities. And the reason why we focus on interest rates is because when you think of the global economy and when you think of financial infrastructure, interest rates are really at the center of it all. They are the denominator to measure the fair value of virtually every single financial asset in the world, right? And yet we don't have everyday people like you and I, we don't have access to this market and we don't have the ability to participate in the pricing of this market. The only real participants are the banks. And as we know from the LIBOR rigging scandal, these banks do not have our best interests at heart. They don't have the transparency of interest rate setting in their best interests. Correct. Right. They will serve themselves first. And so what we want to bring at Strips is we want to bring transparency. We want to bring capital efficiency, real-time settlement and clearing to the interest rate market and allow everyone to be a participant. Yeah, it's fantastic. You've actually, Ming, said every single point that Mark and I harp on about around our repo order book. You know, we've basically, again, taken an activity, which is a hourly, daily borrow lend business activity, and then brought it into a central limit order book or a clock. And this is what we love about what crypto has done is that we've taken a market, which is two to three trillion in TradFi, completely opaque, only between the banks, Interbank and the Fed, and brought it into the um, into a space where essentially an old lady in Australia could trade with the institution in Switzerland. And both of them trade seamlessly, effortlessly with real-time settlement and visibility on rate. And more so than that, everyone in the market sees these trades and knows exactly what's going on rather than sort of bilateral chat rooms that go on in many borrow lend markets, including crypto outside of the CoinFlex order book. Yeah. And obviously, it will be great for some of our listeners because the term obviously interest rate swaps, I mean, I know some fair amount about it. And obviously, you guys do too. But what are interest rate swaps? Maybe should we begin with that? Yeah, sure. So at the most base level, interest rate swaps allow for you and I to basically swap uh, cash flows for floating interest rates and fixed interest rates. So when two parties, they come together and say, hey, I have this variable interest rate that changes every day, whether it's on Aave or Compound, you're paying a different interest rate every day or every second, and you don't want to take that risk. And so you find someone in the market and say, hey, would you be willing to take this variable interest rate and give me fixed interest rate? 
And so this exchange between fixed and variable is called an interest rate swap. So as the name suggests, you're swapping a variable interest rate, or often we call it floating interest rate, for a fixed interest rate. And so its basic purpose is to hedge risk uh, for variable interest rates, but it's also a very capital efficient manner to trade and speculate on interest rates because if you believe that variable interest rates are going to go up, then you can actually take a long position in the interest rate swap and you're paying the fixed rate, which doesn't change, but you're collecting the variable uh, interest rate, which if it rises up and increases, then you'll be collecting more cash flow, but you'll be paying a fixed cash flow. And so you'll profit from that difference. Vice versa, if you believe that it's going to go down, if you believe that variable interest rate is going to go down, then you can actually go in a short position. And if the variable interest rates go down, you're receiving the fixed interest rate, but you're paying a lower variable interest rate. So it's both a hedging tool and also a speculative tool. Yeah, correct. So maybe I'll ask you this question the other way around. Now, interest rate markets in, in TradFi, for example, trade again, billions, hundreds of billions of dollars per day, if not trillions. Yeah. Why has it taken this long for crypto to come up with this product? Why would you think? I think a couple reasons. You know, if we just look at the history of DeFi as a whole, it is still a very young industry. We really started to have DeFi protocols developing the most basic swap functions and lending functions in 2018 and 2019. And so given we're in 2022 now, DeFi has really only been around for three to four years. And I think given the short span of time that DeFi has been around, we've already built a lot of the financial infrastructure that currently exists in TradFi. And so I view DeFi almost like doing a speed run of uh, financial infrastructure. And so right now we're in the fourth year of DeFi. And so we have gone through the basic functions such as swapping, lending, borrowing, and we're now just starting to tap into derivatives and interest rate swaps being one of the, the largest derivatives market in traditional finance, I believe is now is the perfect time to do it. Because if we look at the next five to 10 years, when we ask ourselves, what is going to be the biggest, most impactful market in decentralized finance? For me, the answer is very clear that it's going to be interest rates. And so interest rate swaps are the perfect tool to create that market and to create that flexibility. So I don't think that we're necessarily delayed in terms of the evolution of DeFi. I think that we're right on track. And in fact, if you just look at the history of DeFi, we're still very young. I think besides that, we also need to have education with users on what are interest rates and what are interest rate swaps. And I think with the yield farming that happened in 2020, a lot of people are becoming more and more familiar with the concept of APY and APR, right? Yeah. And so that has created a lot of education for users. And so we just need to take that extra step and say, hey, now you can actually trade that APY, right? That you are yield farming. And so I think the marginal effort to educate users has been reduced substantially compared to say two years ago. So hopefully we can see more yeah. adoption, but yeah, that's our bet. I do. I, I do completely agree. I think the timing is, is fantastic. And these are very, very important market interest rate swaps. We've actually been looking at it at, at CoinFlex for, for the last couple of months about how to sort of 
innovate and launch a product that would capture the fixed rate, you know, fix or float, pay fix, receive floating kind of thing, or receive fix, pay floating type swap. And so that's why I was intrigued by your platform. Like, for example, you know, whenever FlexUSD, which is CoinFlex's yield-bearing stablecoin, whenever yields jack up to 15 20%, or whenever PERP funding jacks up on exchanges, everyone yep. rushes to mint, right? Yep. They want to capture that yield. Now, one of the things that, has been, that I've been thinking about a lot this past few weeks is really around everyone wants to lock in the fixed leg up at 20%, for example. Yep. But who wants to pay fixed mm. up there? And that has been something that's been sort of a very interesting journey to think about yeah. because I mean, it's not easy to me. Yeah. I can think of one type of user, but I was kind of interested to ask you, you know, who's a fixed payer mm. when rates are fairly high in crypto? And TradFi, when rates are low, mm. there's obviously mortgage, uh, 30-year mortgage buyers in the US, they want to pay fixed. You know, there's a lot of fixed demand for at low rates. Yeah. At the high rates that crypto sees, you know, who do you think wants to pay fixed? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think there's a number of different angles that I think of, you know, think of who's the payer of fixed. Number one is oftentimes when rates go rise up to 20, 30% during the bull market, I think investors are smart enough to understand that this is probably not a sustainable yield. And so in the fixed market, you're probably not going to see the fixed rate go as high as 20%. Maybe the fixed rate might go from 5% to 10% right because people will factor in the upward movement in rates but for the you know on the variable leg it might go up to 20 percent but the fixed leg might only go to 10 percent so as someone that's paying fixed at 10 percent and receiving variable 20 percent to me that seems like a pretty great deal right and i think the market will find an equilibrium whether that's 10 percent or 11 12 percent but the market will find an equilibrium where payers and receivers of fixed are going to meet in the middle and say, hey, this is the fair market price, right? And I think the the other factor is that the variable leg, I mean, if there is a 20% fixed leg, if someone's paying 20% fixed, it means that they have some yield that they believe they can get for higher than 20%, right? And so a lot of the yield farms, you know, they might give 100% APY and, you know, you might have trading desks such as, you know, Amber or Alameda, you know, borrowing at 20% fixed which they'll happily take and they'll happily pay because they're yield farming somewhere on Solana, right, at 100% APY for the next six months, right? So again, that's the risk that they take when they pay that fixed interest is will their variable yield remain at 100% APY or at least above 20% APY for the next six to 12 months, yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I think you, you definitely alluded to this in, the st- in your answer just now, which is a great response. And mm-hmm. just to, to kind of clear up and make something very, very kind of straightforward from that for listeners is a classic use case of pay- paying fixed would be large perp holders. So leverage longs who want to hold long futures positions for a long period would very much like to pay 10 or 12 percent in a bull market and pay fixed for that to lock in their funding. So that's a very obvious use case. For example, on CoinFlex, some of our large buy-only AMM traders who hold huge long positions would absolutely pay fixed to guarantee their funding rate because they they see some pretty vicious spikes Mm. from time to time. But those in the yield farmers are the ones I would say, I do completely agree with you. Those are the two very, very obvious um, use cases for it. And what do you think in terms of retail adoption, I guess it's really about education now, right? Because I I guess we expect it to be a more uh, sort of speculative market from retail, but the real volume will probably come in from TradFi. But Mm -hmm. uh, I'm super excited about seeing this grow. 
just touching away from the slightly, you know, you mentioned around yield farming, and I was kind of wondering what your view is on this sort of stable coins or algorithmic stable coins that are kind of generating yield from inflationary token drops, because it's become very topical now with you know, yeah. a lot of these tokens dropping sort of like 90%. How sustainable do you think DeFi lending yields are for stable coins? Like, you know, for example, Terra. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, UST is you know, the hot topic of the month. You know, everyone's speculating whether it's going to hold, hold peg or whether it's going to collapse. I've participated in a number of algo stablecoin farms during DeFi summer, you know, starting from, you know, starting from Ampleforth to uh, ESD, DSD, YAM Finance. And I've been uh, burnt in every single one of them. <laughs> and oh. so I think uh, on these uh, algo stablecoins, I don't think there has been a very clear winner or a very clear sustainable model that's been figured out yet even for terra it's only been around for maybe two years right and uh you know we don't know whether that's sustainable or whether you need incremental money inflow to to sustain the the yields all i know is that if we look at the algo stable coins in the past the numbers are not on their side, let's just say, because there has been more failures than successes. And the most recent big failure was the MIM, right? Magic Internet Money and also Spell, right? That a lot of people lost money from that. And for the longest time, people were saying that Spell and MIM was sustainable, even though it was very high APY. And so that was proven not to be true in the end. So I think the jury's still, still uh, you know, yeah. deliberating on whether mm. this mm. is an actual sustainable model. But from my perspective is I try to avoid them and I try to stick to more collateral backed or fiat backed stable coins like USDC or even USDT is at least to most extent backed by either equities or treasuries or company notes. So yeah, no, exactly. I mean, this is where, I mean, just to finish off on Luna, for example, mm. I read today that this morning that Luna, the Luna Foundation had raised a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. And now that's great because it you know, kind of gives more surety around the, the 10 billion of USD out there. But again, it's still the wrong way risk with Luna because, you know, you're again taking another token, obviously, albeit a way more branded and stable token, Bitcoin. But Bitcoin comes off, Luna's coming off. I mean, they're, they're very highly correlated from a market directional perspective. So yeah. it's great to have another billion dollars in the war chest, but it is definitely wrong way risk. And this is where we want to sort of flex USDs. You know, we're about to go live with, you know, sort of attestations and, you know, blockchain monitoring of, mm. of the assets on the platform. Because at least with flex USD, what we know is that, it's, you know, all the assets are kept within crypto market. They're not given out to commercial paper or, 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 or dodgy Chinese property developers, for example. Yeah. It is within crypto. You know, it is auditable. It is on the blockchain. And so, you know, we're very, very bullish on it because we think the time and place is right here for it, particularly with the you know U.S. clampdown on uh, banking style accounts from BlockFi and um, Celsius and the like, whereas stable coins are very, very much the hot topic around being promoted as, you know, as in, you know, don't drive this underground, you know, embrace regulation. And we're very, very much for that, too. So yeah. it's going to be an interesting time ahead for the industry. Yeah. And I think one argument that a lot of people keep making about UST is that, well, you know, it doesn't need to be one-to-one back because the US dollars is not one-to-one backs. But people should realize that the US dollar isn't backed by, you know, physical assets. It's backed by the military power 
of the US military, right? And it's also backed by the output productivity of the US economy, right? Whereas if you tell me that Bitcoin has, you know, output, you know, productivity for the crypto economy, then yeah, maybe it doesn't need to be, you know, USD doesn't need to be one-to-one backed by Bitcoin, but US dollar has, is able, you know, the government is able to print money without backing, physical backing is because you have this military that basically will tell the whole world, like, use my money or else. (laughs) And also it, it has an economy that produces output and produces stuff, right, that people will buy. And I think even the US government cannot escape this, you know, wholesale printing of money because you, we've just seen the inflation report come out like month and month again, you know, it's historic highs in inflation. And so even they have to pay the price, right? Yeah, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Someone yeah. has to pay that bill yeah. at some point, whether it's a, our generation or the next. Yeah. So, Ming, this has been absolutely fascinating to have you on. Thank you so much. All the best with strips.finance. And, and I would absolutely love to have you back here to talk some more about interest rate swaps because I think this is the start of a very, very interesting product. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me and uh, keen to chat again. Cool. Thanks, dude. Thank you.